we know the situation in our healthcare system right now is once again at that point, use the word, whatever word you want, disaster, catastrophe, crisis, near crisis, whatever the case may be. We know we have more uh, COVID patients in ICU than we ever have before. We're into our fourth wave. We now have, I mean, it changes hour by an hour, right? So let's call it 200. It's been above 200. It's been slightly below 200, but 200 is fair. Uh, which is more than we have ever seen before in the ICUs in this province before. And uh, you saw the case counts from the weekend. They just continue to go up. We're not plateauing. We're not dropping. We are continuing to have patients arrive in hospital and ultimately in the ICU. It's it's a tough spot to be in. Uh, I don't know how things get turned around, if things get turned around. So let's get an inside look at what's going on in an ICU in our province right now. We have joining us Dr. Rayan Chowdhury who is an ICU doc at the Royal Alec Hospital in Edmonton. Um, Dr. Chowdhury, thank you so much for your time this morning. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it as well. So just tell us, what is it like inside an ICU in Alberta right now? I mean, we hear all these reports, but you're there. You're on the front lines each and every day. What's it like? It's so much busier than it's ever been. I was on during Christmas um, and after during our third wave, and I remember thinking at that time, I was like, well, if we go down this path, the, this healthcare system is going to collapse. And then, you know, the government made uh, necessary decisions at that time. Uh, and th- things were locked down and then things quickly improved. And I remember in the summertime, th- things were pretty decent. And it, this one caught me off guard as well. But starting in August, there's just been every week an increase in the number of ICU patients. And it's just getting to the point where the ICU is probably at a breaking point. Right, we can increase the number of ventilators and we can increase the number of beds, mm-hmm. but it's very hard to increase the number of people who can actually take care of these patients. So that includes the ICU nurses, the ICU respiratory therapists, and and the ICU doctors. Um, and the other thing that really scared me, I was on last week at nighttime. Um, I think we're taking care of a lot more people in the hospital who should be in intensive care who we can't take to the intensive care because we don't have space, right? That's what scares me, is that people that in any other time, even in prior waves, they're on so much oxygen that I would think, you know what, this person deserves an ICU bed so we can watch them more closely. Yeah. They're not getting that, right? And that includes COVID and non-COVID patients. So everyone's paying the price here. Um, Doctor, we know that the ICU has been expanded by quite a bit over the last, I guess it's two weeks now. is there more capacity? As you say, uh, you know, adding a bed or a ventilator is one thing, but it's the staff that we're dealing yeah. with here. Is there more expansion possible, or have we reached a max, at least where you work? I think, I think they, like, you know, if push comes to shove, we're going to do everything we can for our patients, right? So if that means the doctors, nurses, and respiratory therapists need to work 24 hours, they're, they're going to do that. Um, so I think we're going to have to do what we have to do. But at some point, if the trajectory doesn't change, right, at some point we do reach a point where, no, you actually can't go beyond that. I know that during the initial pandemic planning, that was during the first and second wave, they were thinking that at most in the province they could probably do 400 ventilated beds. I think the more realistic number based on recent discussions is probably more around 320 and okay. we're, last time I checked, we were at 200 or just above 200. So at that trajectory, right, uh, yeah, we're, we're, in some, we're in some trouble. And, and like you said uh, in your opener there, 
uh, we don't know really what's going to happen, right? No. Uh, we don't know if anyone's if anything's really going to mitigate this, or if maybe this plateaus at some point just with people's behaviors changing, or the number of people who can get sick have already gotten sick. I don't, I don't think anyone really knows that. No, we, we don't, and we're all just watching and waiting to see some sort of plateau or slowing down, and, and we haven't seen it yet. You know, um, I, I hear from people all day who are really angry, really frustrated, and say, you know what, if you've chosen not to get vaccinated, you've chosen to get sick, you shouldn't get health care. Now, it, it, I understand the frustration, but it's not an argument we should or can make in this country, but I wonder what it's like, because we know over 90% of the patients in your ICU have COVID. We know that. Um, what's it like? I mean... Is there frustration because, you know what, you didn't have to be here? Yeah, of course there's frustration, but you you don't go into healthcare unless you're there to help people, right? And people may make choices in their lives, but that's not on us to be judges, right? We're there to help them when they need us. And so uh, when I look at these unvaccinated people, uh, they deserve my care and our care just as much as anyone else. Um, I'll leave it up to the politicians and society to perhaps judge them or pressure them to to uh, perhaps see things other ways. The other thing I'll say in Alberta, which I think is very important, uh, a lot of the people who are in intensive care, uh, they're good people, right? It's not like they are, are people who um, were very vocal against vaccines. I think in many ways they're victims as well, right? They're victims of misinformation. They're victims of of some of the fear campaigns that have been run. And I, I don't think we should forget that. I think there's there's a sizable number of people who uh, are, are victims on two ends. They're victims of all this stuff they've heard, so they didn't get the vaccine, and now they're victims of COVID. So I, I do want people to remember that. So yeah, don't judge too harshly, right? I mean, there's all kinds of different reasons right. that people right. have exactly. made the choices they've made. Um I'm just wondering, what's it like, you know, when you go into work, is it is it chaos? Is it, um, or in, in yeah, an ICU, these no, patients? It is, it is chaos. I mean, I was just at a intensive care meeting yesterday, and just some of the contingencies that they've come up with, right, to, to deal with this crisis. Um, like for the nurses and respiratory therapists, I feel especially bad for them because they're working all the time in that unit, right? For myself, I'm an intensive care doctor and a surgeon, so I'll do a week of, at a time in the ICU and then go back to surgery. But even for the doctors, they're talking about us, like, uh, y- you know, just doing a lot more hours uh, uh, on the unit and having multiple people on the unit. And, yeah, you can do that for a few weeks. You can do that for maybe a, even a few months. But to do that for 16 months or 18 months, uh, and a lot of these people have kids, a lot of these people have families, right? They're dealing with situations that everyone else has had to deal with during the pandemic, right? And mm-hmm. at some point, it's, it's just it's just a lot, right? And I, I, I do hope that uh, Albertans recognize that. You know, I wrote that letter to that unvaccinated patient, and uh, I, lo- I received a lot of positive feedback, but I did receive some, like, what I would say is almost hate mail. Sure. <laughs> and and when, you, when you hear things like that, and you're like, you look back over the year, and you're like, you know what, I'm just trying to advocate for people here, advocate for people's health, and... I put in a lot of work over the last year and a half, just like everyone else has on that unit and throughout the province, and th- that always that always hurts a little bit. You know, Doc, we always hear about the ventilator, and there's all kinds of other people that talk about treatments and therapeutics. And I mean, have those evolved over the course of this pandemic? Do you have more weapons in your in your tool belt that you can go to to try and help people? 
Uh, there's a lot more medications, right, that are available now that probably weren't available during that first wave. So these would be monoclonal antibodies that can help support the immune system. But once once your oxygen levels are so severe that you need a ventilator, none of those things help, right? You, you need to be on life support. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we don't have anything in medicine just yet that that works as well as that does. So I think without those medications, it's possible there's a lot of people in hospital who who would need the ventilator, and that's what the studies would show, right? That yeah. steroids and these monoclonal antibodies are preventing people from getting even more ill. But honestly, by the time you're seeing an intensive care doctor or nurse, you're you're in a in a situation such a bad situation yeah. that none of that stuff is going to make a difference. Yeah, pretty desperate. Uh, Doctor, I appreciate your time this morning, and I appreciate the work that you're doing. Uh, I think we all appreciate it, uh, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. That is Dr. Rayan Chowdhury, who is an intensive care specialist uh, at the Royal Alec Hospital in Edmonton, giving us, um, you know, uh, a bit of an insight as to what's going on in the ICU. And I think, you know what, that kind of message that we heard from Dr. Chowdhury saying, you know what, we, we've turned this into a fight, Right. We've turned this into uh, us versus them. Uh, And we all lose. We all lose when we play the us versus them game.